Well, welcome back to Out of Curiosity, our podcast where we're looking for biblical clarity for modern questions. I'm Garland. And I'm Nick. And this is a, a modern question of modern questions because we find ourselves in an election year. And so this is a very timely question, we might say, for uh, for us trying to navigate, at least as Americans, what does it look like to form uh, political views? How do we form uh, biblically uh, informed political views and then <laughs> navigating that with uh, candidates and parties and all the things that go on in an election year? So uh, we, we've done a series on this. Um, back some of our first episodes. And so if you want a more uh, kind of broader conversation, we've had that conversation, but we did want to, we wanted to circle back around to this since it is 2020. And so Nick, help us to, to answer that question. Well, you know, the first thing we have to acknowledge right out of the gate is we are facing a situation as followers of Jesus in the United States of America that no one in the New Testament times faced. And that was that as followers of Jesus, we have a voice in shaping government. Right. Um, you know, there was no democracy. And so to ask the question, you know, the Ephesians, the Ephesian church was not saying, hey, Paul, how should we influence Roman uh, empirical, imperial policy? Should we vote for Nero or the other guy? <laughs> so, so this whole issue, like that wasn't what they were wrestling with in the first century. What they were wrestling with was the government is what it is. We have no effect over that. So how do we respond to it? Right. Um, and so, so we, we have to admit from, from the get go, like this is a, this is a abnormal situation in the grander history, uh, you know, fa compared to, uh, the first century church. And so, um, what we're doing was we're trying to reason out some, some general principles for how should we think through political views. And, uh, and, and you know, uh, I saw an article by J.I. Packer recently. He passed away not long ago, but it was a it was a posthumous article that CT pointed back to Christianity Today, and, and what he basically framed political engagement as a believer, um, he framed it in terms of loving your neighbor, and, and really thinking through um, if we want to be good neighbors, good citizens then the best we can do is try to um, lovingly engage the political process to bless the people around us. Um, not in a selfish, um, trying to gain the most for ourselves approach, but rather, man, what would it look like for me to vote in a way that loves my neighbor well? Um, and so I think that's a pretty good frame and probably really the first question that we should ask um, when we're thinking about political views is what does it look like to love our neighbors well, along with, is there a clear biblical principle at play here? Um, is there a clear biblical teaching um, that will that will that will guide what ethics should look like in this situation. Right now, after we do that, we have to make a distinction that I think is a really important one to make when we're having political discussions, and that is distinguishing between a biblical principle and a political policy. Mm -hmm. So here's what I mean: we could, you and I, could agree on the biblical principle, for example, of defining marriage. We could say that marriage is defined biblically before the Lord as one man, one woman in a covenant for life. And, and we could be totally aligned on understanding that's what the scripture teaches marriage is. And we could disagree on whether the United States government should legislate that view of marriage. Right. One of us could take the position that it is the responsibility of the government to defend that definition of marriage. And another one could take the position, I still believe that that is God's view of marriage, but I think it's acceptable in a, a country like the United States to allow different 
religions to operate in the same place. And so someone who doesn't have a Christian heritage like mine and a, a biblical worldview might not believe that. And so I'm okay living in a country where both are given the freedom. I'm given the freedom to practice my Christian faith and uh, someone else is given their, the freedom to, to, to not practice that faith and have a different view of marriage. And what's happened there, and this I think is really, really important when we're talking with other Christians, particularly about political views, is to recognize that distinction that just because we disagree on a political policy does not mean we disagree on what God teaches. Right. And so often I think that the conversations get really toxic when people accuse each other of something that's just absolutely not true. Like you're not a, you're not a Bible believing, you know, real Christian. Right. You take that political view when yes. that might, might, might be the might not be the case at all. Yeah, absolutely. So another example on this would be how to love the poor. Mm -hmm. And so you'll often see, you know, broad strokes here, and we've talked about this before in this podcast, you know, the, uh, this is this is an overgeneralization, but the right tends to put a lot of, the political right tends to put a lot of emphasis on personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And personal responsibility um, and rewarding personal responsibility, giving freedom for personal responsibility and agency is one of the best ways to, to help the poor. The left tends to put a lot of focus on systems and creating systems that are fair and equitable and that, that, that um, systems that help the poor is the best way to go forward. And what tends to happen is both accuse the other of not caring about the poor. Mm -hmm. And often, that, that might be the case in some situations. I can't, right. I can't right. say every individual, but there are people on both sides that genuinely love the poor and genuinely want to help and do what's best. And they disagree on what the best, most practical solution is for that. So two Christians looking at their Bibles, surmising that the Bible says a Christian should care about uh, defending the plight of the widow and the orphan and caring about uh, unjust systems and the poor, might have two very different, they agree on the Bible, they yep. might walk out walk out of the room and go to two different sides of the aisle, we might say, yep. and when we blast the other person as not being a a Jesus follower, a real Christian, that can be a very toxic posture. Yeah, so it's often we assume because we disagree on the policy, we assume we also disagree on the motive or the belief. Mm -hmm. And that may or may not be true. And so I think one thing we can do is show each other the grace to not go there, mm -hmm. um, but rather to, to seek and not assume the worst in others. Another question we need to ask is, given that we operate in a nation that has both believers and non-believers in it, what kind of law is going to be helpful for that kind of nation? Right. So Paul talks about the accountability of believers, and he, he talks about like even expelling the immoral believer from the church. But then he says, hey, by the way, I'm not telling you not to associate with the people of the world. Um, he says, you can't expect them. They've not made a covenant to Jesus the way we have. And if you distance yourself from them, there's going to be no one left to be around. Similarly, I think we have to have some really in, some hard questions of what do we expect of non-believers, right? Um, and and what is it helpful to have a policy that loves our neighbors well, and and not assume that every Christian ethic should also be a law in our government. And then another thing we need to ask is what can and should be legislated. Now, I've often heard people say uh, you can't legislate morality. I'm not exactly sure what that even means. Right. Um, murder is a moral issue. We legislate that. Um, and so you think about two things that are generally broadly considered to be immoral, murder and adultery. We have laws against murder. We don't prosecute people for adultery. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, and I think there are good reasons for this, we've decided one will legislate and make criminal and the other we won't. 
And, and so I think we need to think through, sometimes people have some really broad strokes they assume um, on what can and, and, and should be legislated. But I think we need to ask that question and really wrestle with what is kind of our reason for thinking one way or another. And then finally, this points at something we've already said, but what's going to do the most practical good? Um, what's actually going to work? And I do think that pragmatic question plays in here. And so to, to kind of try to pull all this together, John Frame's a theologian that I read a lot. You hear me talk about him you all love the time. John I Frame. love John Frame. And John Frame does this thing where he takes every question, he calls, he has a big fancy name for it because that's what philosophers and theologians do. He calls it triperspectivalism. How about that one? Three perspectives. But three perspectives. <laughs> and what those three perspectives are, the first one is, what does God say? That's our biblical question of right and wrong. What does God's word say? The second perspective is the practical one. What are the facts on the ground? And then the third one he calls the existential. It's what are people feeling? What are people experiencing inside? And I, one of the things when we're talking about political views that, that, um, that I see the miss happen most often is one person's talking from one perspective, the other's talking from another, and they don't realize they're missing each other. And so often one person is talking about the pain that they've experienced from a situation and the other person's throwing statistics at them. Right. And they're completely missing. The statistics do not speak to the pain another person's feeling. And it, and it, it makes the one person on that case seem like, well, you need to get, you need to kind of pick yourself up here. We got to talk about the, what's really going right. on. It makes the other person seem really harsh and unloving and uncaring, which yes. may not be the case at all. And the flip side, the person who's had a, a, it's really easy to make my narrative, the narrative. Correct. And so if I have something that's personally painful at some point, I do need to look at some data and say, is this something that is that is broadly happening? Is this my experience? And so recognizing these different conversations are going to be really important that we can, at the end of the day, all three of those perspectives matter. The biblical truth, the facts on the ground, and then the experiences of individuals and their stories. And so, um, you know, Connecting with people one-on-one, -on -one, uh, it, it might not make a really good policy practice, but as a believer, connecting with people one-on-one -on -one matters. And if I can shout about a political policy but can't listen to an individual tell their story, I'm not going to be a very great peacemaker mm -hmm. um, as someone who's working to represent Christ during a political season. So I would encourage a lot of people, um, when the shouting match tends to go on statistics and data and policy, to be ready to engage that other perspective of, hey, what's your story? How did you get there? When it's it's scary because it's it's become increasingly uh, easy, we might say, to do that shouting match uh, digitally. Yes, where you don't it it makes the distance between you and that person even further. Yes, uh, and so that 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 is where we're seeing a lot of these shouting matches. So let, uh, let me ask you this question before we turn to close. Uh, it sounds like, and I think this is where uh, one of the purposes actually of this this podcast is: what do we do when we say, uh, well, this this group or this way of thinking or this policy it's the biblical view. Uh -huh. uh, I hear you saying we start with what does the word say? What does the Bible say? Uh, help us navigate that because I do think I hear uh, oftentimes in these, in, in these political seasons and, and years of elections, it seems as if we have this belief that it's clearly the Bible's on maybe this side or that side. Help us navigate that real fast. One of the things that I think we have to recognize is there is a a, a principle that emerges in the New Testament called the idea of exile. And, and what exile means is that we are people who live in a kingdom that's not our home kingdom. We are citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, while I currently live, live in the United States, it is not my first allegiance. It's not my first citizenship. And so what's tricky is the ethics given in the New Testament are the ethics of the kingdom of God. It's, it's ethics for the church. 
And so um, the United States is not the kingdom of God. And so one of the things that's really tough is oftentimes we have a clear biblical ethic on something, and it's unclear whether in a democracy like the United States that believes in freedom of religion, which also means freedom for people to not be Christian, right? Um, is the biblical view, if we've assuming we've understood what the Bible teaches on an ethical issue rightly, should the biblical view of something be the United States policy? Um, you know, and I don't know how to navigate that yet. And so that's the first thing I would want to say is, um, is you got to wrestle through. Yes, you might understand what the Bible teaches on that ethical issue. And when should the Bible's ethical teachings be enshrined in law for the United States? And that's a great question that I think people are going to have to wrestle with. They're going to have different convictions on exactly how that works. Well, and, and what I hear you saying also is, uh, and this, this might be a challenge to some of us, is we have to start with what does the scripture say, not, well, this is what this party says or that Absolutely. party says. And this is one of the reasons we have the Out of Curiosity podcast is we want to be able to look at some of these really tough questions that need to be asked and try to give some kind of framework for mm -hmm. how to navigate that. So, yeah. And so I think what that should lead to is first and foremost, a people who are seeking to live the kingdom of God values in our homes and our churches and our communities, and then being the kind of salt and light that um, can show, and we'll talk about this more in another episode, show a persuasive way to live to an unbelieving world. That's so good. And just just by way of all of us Jesus followers, if you're listening to this and you are a Jesus follower, it might be a really good time to re just go reread the Sermon on the Mount in an election year. And let's be Sermon on the Mount kind of Jesus followers. Uh, this That's really good. Nick, thanks for helping. And thanks for listening to Out of Curiosity. Thank you for listening to Out of Curiosity as we discussed how Christians form and talk about political views. We encourage you to look into this more in Out of Curiosity episodes 3, 4, 8, and 11. In Matthew 17, 24 through 27, Romans 13, 1 through 10, Daniel 7, and also in Onward by Russell Moore. If you want to send in a question or contact us, go to oocuriosity.com and follow us on Instagram at oocuriosity. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with future episodes.